morning, church. Uh, if I've never met you before, I'm Brian. I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. If I'm moving a little bit this morning like Frankenstein, that's because I threw out my back yesterday, still kind of dealing with that. I was moving some rock in a wheelbarrow. It was about the weight uh, fit, fitting for about a 20-year-old, and I forgot that I'm knocking down the door of 40. Uh, so I'm dealing with that a little bit right now, but uh, we'll see if uh, this sermon will help loosen it up a little bit. A couple more things before I pray and dive into Psalm 65 as we continue our Summer in the Psalms series. We're going to um, start uh, to draw attention to a capital campaign that we are going to do this year. Uh, over the course of the next couple months, uh, it is for screens and uh, projectors in the sanctuary. So uh, if you're wondering a little bit what the leadership was thinking with deciding to do a campaign like this, uh, a couple things for background. One, this was something that we were planning to do around 2019 and 2020. Some things came up, though, uh, that made it uh, so that maybe doing something in uh, this place where we gather corporately wasn't the best uh, use of our time or investment at that point. But uh, with some of the light at the end of the tunnel, we also thought that maybe revisiting that and launching that now is a good thing. It's an optimistic thing. It's a forward-looking thing. And it's especially for something to invest in this space, which is something that many of us uh, had missed so long and we just longed to get back to gather in this space. It's a way to kind of nod towards that optimism of, of things uh, hopefully being uh, drawn to a close in terms of the pandemic, light at the end of the tunnel, uh, that sort of thing. The other thing is just practical. So we used to just have like temporary uh, um, projector, like it was right here, slide, slides and the screen was like here and we had to take it off the stage because we needed to spread out because of the pandemic. So now we have it up here on one side, uh, which means that the sight lines, depending on where you're at in the sanctuary, could be pretty bad. Uh, I've noticed over the, the last several months that more folks are sitting on this side for obvious reasons, because over here it's a little rough, uh, especially in the balcony, depending on where you sit, you would really uh, benefit from having one on this side too. So the idea would be having screens Right above the, uh, the heat uh, vent right there, don't want to cover that up. We struggle enough getting heat in this place uh, during the winter, so we'd have one on each side, uh, and that would be the idea. So if you're interested in uh, donating to that, you can go to our website, uh, and when you go to the donate uh, link, there's going to be a category that you can pick called Building Campaign, uh, and we're hoping that maybe we can get something like this installed around October. We'll see what happens. Let's go ahead and pray as we uh, continue our march through these psalms, the 10 psalms for this summer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this gathering. Thank you again for the people in this space and those that have paused their routines at home to, to, to tune in and to focus their hearts and focus their lives on your son, Jesus Christ. So guide us now by your spirit to open our ears, to calm our hearts, uh, to open our hands, to hear your word, and to respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I spend a lot of time in this specific room, in this sanctuary throughout the week, even when it's empty, and one of the reasons for that is it's just a great place to pray for you all. I spend a lot of time here just thinking about the coming Sunday, uh, the fact that these seats are going to be filled again with people who want to focus their hearts yet again on Jesus Christ. You're going to carry your burdens, you're going to carry 
all these uh, things that are stressing you out and uh, the burdens on your souls into this space. So I think about you and the things that you bring into this space and how unique this space is because we set it aside as a sacred space each and every week so that we can focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think not only of this space and the, the praise that awaits in this space each week, but I think about other spaces throughout our city that are set aside for similar reasons, set aside so that God's people can assemble and they can worship, and there's different denominations, different migrant groups, all with their different liturgies, styles, and sounds throughout the city, and each and every week it anticipates this moment where on Sundays and throughout other days of the week, we gather here and we worship and we focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's not only spaces throughout our city, I even think about when I'm in this space during the week, uh, spaces throughout the globe. Our brothers and sisters in, in Christ assemble in very unique spaces throughout the globe uh, to praise Jesus. I, I was reminded of uh, how, how beautiful and how diverse these expressions are. Early in my ministry, I went on a trip with Training Leaders International. That's one of the uh, mission agencies that we uh, partner with and did a couple trips with them uh, early, early in my ministry and got the joy of gathering with different assemblies of churches. Uh, I got to worship Jesus with Middle Eastern migrants in Athens, with newly planted churches in informal settlements in Nairobi, Kenya, and with Anglicans in who, who worshiped in Kenya. And they, they put the lit into liturgy. Let me tell you, like Anglicans in Kenya have, have just the best liturgical worship experience I've ever had in my, in my life. It has all the things that our, our liturgy has, uh, but with, with folks that are a little bit more energetic than the Scandinavian folks that bring up this uh, congregation. So loved, I love that experience, and I think about that during the week when I come in here and pray. All these Sunday gatherings, all these assemblies around the globe to worship Jesus Christ. This psalm exists to remind us of why praise awaits the King, why praise awaits our Lord each and every week, and it gives us reasons yet again why we do this and why we need to continue to lean in to worship, not only in the gathered assembly, but also when we're scattered in daily worship throughout the week. So let's lean into this psalm and see how it calls us yet again to worship. Psalm 65, 1 through 4, Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with good things of your house, of your holy temple. So the psalm begins with praise in Zion. This is just the place where God's people meet with the Lord. And, and in this space, the Lord uh, will hear praise because praise awaits his people. Think like a concert gathering if you've ever been to a music concert. And you got some of the opening bands and, and those are good. And maybe you're introduced in, to some new musicians. But usually you're there for the main show. And before that band comes out, there's this anticipation. And then they hit the stage and people start freaking 
out because that's why they're there is to see and hear this band. And in a similar way, that's what happens in these spaces. It gathers and you guys, you came here and you tuned in because you wanted to praise the king. You wanted to praise God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and that's what you are here for. And each and every week, praise awaits the king. Verse 1 also says that they are going to fulfill their vows. This is a commitment that God's people have to commune and worship with God each week. I think that's always a good thing to remember. People don't stumble upon worship. They commit to it. They, they make it a priority. They say, I need to do this. I not only need to go to grocery stores for bread, I need to come here for the living bread that comes down from heaven that nothing on earth will satisfy and, 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 and fill my soul with. So you make a commitment each week. You make a vow to the Lord that says, this is who you are, God, and I commit to praising you because you are worth it and you are worthy. So you clear your schedule to gather with God's people. Because what better thing will be going on this week than being here with God's global church doing the same thing throughout the world, focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The other reason they're praising him is for answered prayer. When you pray to the Lord, he never stops listening. There's never a time that you open your heart to the Lord in prayer and he ignores you. He rolls his eyes at you. That never happens in the gospel. Human beings are like this. Maybe you and I have had moments because you can see who's calling you on your cell phone, that that person is calling you and you're like, that person's needy, that person's annoying. You roll your eyes and you flip it over and you forgot that it even happened. You don't answer the phone. Human beings do that. You can admit it. That's what, something that you've done before. But in contrast to the Lord, that never happens. God does not ignore your call. He doesn't roll your eyes at you because he thinks you're annoying. He listens. He leans in. And he is calibrating with his divine ears what his sovereign will is going to do about your petitions and your requests. So he picks up and he listens and he responds. We praise God because he answers prayer. We also praise God for the forgiveness of sins. This text talks about human beings being overwhelmed by sin. Ever been overwhelmed by sin? If you're a Christian, the answer is absolutely. Because one of the things that every single Christian feels before they're liberated by redemption and salvation is the weightiness and overwhelming sense that we are sinners and we can't do anything about it. We can't get ourselves out of this mess. We are Christians because we know what it's like to be overwhelmed by sin. And not only just the moment that we came to the Lord, but it's an ongoing reality that this sin, if we're going to try to beat it, we can't beat it by our own strength. We need to turn to the one who forgives. And that's how he, he lifts the burden of being overwhelmed by sin is through forgiveness because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he forgives, he also invites. You also have these verses that talk about God's hospitality. We are chosen. God chooses us and chooses us to come into his presence. Outside of his courts, we're overwhelmed by sin, but he forgives, he invites, he chooses, and he invites us into his 
presence where we enjoy his hospitality, hospitality in his courts. And when you are there in his holy temple where his presence and his glory dwells, what happens, the text says, you are filled with good things. You are filled with good things. You ever had an experience where you've been at somebody's house and they are amazing at hospitality? And that is the best way to describe it. You're filled with good things, best meals, best drinks, great laughter, amazing memories, and you are filled. Not only your stomach, not only your, your emotions, you are just, every sense of your being is like satisfied because of that hospitality. And even more so, that's the true when we get to enjoy the presence of God in his chambers, in his courts, in his house. He fills you with good things. The praise of God doesn't just stay in Zion. We see in these next verses that it extends to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 5 with me. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. So here God is answering our prayer again, and it describes his answer as answering with awesome and righteous deeds. The picture is the roaring of the waves, the turmoil of nations, the roaring of the seas. It is a chaotic picture, but God in his awesome and righteous deeds responds, and it is calm, and it is peaceful. God can stand up in front of the greatest tsunami and say, peace, be still, and that thing flattens and doesn't destroy a single thing. That's who we turn to in prayer, and that's why we praise him. And since this is the one who answers prayer, it's not just one person, it's not just one church, it's not just one people group that ought to call on the name of the Lord. The text says that this calling on the Lord's name, requesting that his awesome and righteous deeds respond, should extend to every tongue, tribe, and nation. It should extend to every corner of this world. The whole earth is and will be filled with awe when we witness the wonders of God, especially how he responds to our cries for help. That's God's desire, that every tongue, tribe, and nation would call on him in faith and in prayer because the Lord doesn't just want your corner of the world to see his glory and to have faith in him, but every single square inch of this globe will one day see and declare the glory of the Lord so that every moment of our days and every thought that we have would worship him and be in awe of his glory. And in Christ, God continues to restore this broken creation through the Holy Spirit, and we know that's where history is going. I think one of the ways that I thought about applying that specific part of the psalm is when we have experienced the amazing power of prayer, I'm surprised that we don't invite more people to join us and that we're more expressive that we do it. 
Sometimes we kind of hear this pushback that to say that you're praying for somebody is this throwaway phrase, and maybe sometimes it is, if you don't actually follow through with praying to somebody. But when you do, it's not this inactive thing where you're passively not doing anything about somebody's problems. If you're praying for somebody, you're bringing that person's brokenness, their stress, their anxiety before the throne room of God, the one who flinged galaxies into motion by the word of his power and raised Jesus from the dead. That's where you're bringing those requests. You're bringing it before him who does all of that. And that's why it's good to say to people praying for you, to tell them how you are praying for them, to be expressive about it. And not only that, to invite people to pray. I love inviting people to pray. I don't care if they don't pray or not. I'm going to invite them to pray anyways because it's amazing. I just assume that somebody would want to pray or if they stop praying that they would want to come back to prayer. Once had a conversation recently with a friend who just, he's an atheist and he doesn't believe in prayer. And, I, and, and, and when I hear that, it isn't like, oh, shoot, well, we'll have to agree to disagree. I'm more like somebody that tells me they don't like cheese. I'm just shocked. Like, what? Have you tried it? Well, and, and so when somebody's like, ah, prayer's not my thing, I don't believe in it, it's just like, what? Have you, have you done it before? Do you, have you wrapped your mind around what happens in prayer? To whom you are making these appeals? His power, his majesty, the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead, the fact that his spirit is still at work? That's what you're engaging in in this act. Why would it not be for you? That's silly. And so there's this longing in our heart that God's people should have to invite people into that and to say to others that you are doing that on their behalf and to actually engage in the wonder of prayer. We see that praise continues to be uh, extending to the ends of the earth, but not only that, but into this land that has just been quenched with rain and abundance and an overflow of harvest. So let's look at verses 9 through 13. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows with, and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow, and hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This section is emphasizing God's provision for a land in need of water. There's other psalms and other prayers in the scriptures where uh, this type of prayer and celebration hasn't been realized yet. They are waiting for the desert to get rain. And here you have the aftermath of that prayer that God came and he provided. And you see that emphasis. Look at how active God is in these verses. It says that God cares, God enriches, God provides, God ordains, God drenches. That's why there's abundance. That's why there's fulfillment. And that's the other part that these verses are emphasizing. When God acts in response to prayer and he's doing these things, the result is a picture of abundance so that the soil is drenched with water. There's a bountiful harvest. Carts are overflowing as well as the grasslands 
and the wilderness and the meadows are covered with flocks. That's a picture of abundance because of God's provision. And no wonder the text and the psalm ends again with that they all shout for joy and sing. Uh, I sometimes forget that not all of you know that I grew up on a farm. I know that I'm a city guy and have been living in a city for quite some time. I recently had this experience where I was coming to a church leadership meeting and I was driving my father-in-law's S10 pickup and one of the church leaders, she said, I could never picture you driving a pickup and me being a country kid, I was just like, well, that's weird. Like, why, why couldn't you picture me there? And I think it's one of those things because like I have been in the city for so long and have this city aroma so much so that my brothers who still very much live in rural country areas, they call me a city uh, So that's their name for me because uh, they're not fans of urban areas like I am. They don't share the love for me. And if you think to yourself, is this just a pastor exaggerating his country roots? Well, I'll leave you to decide. I spent most of my summers baling hay growing up. I probably have cleaned up more animal manure than I've preached sermons and I've even helped my dad castrate pigs. So if that fills my credentials, that's how country I am. That's where I've grown up. And when I read a, a section of a psalm like this, I, I don't, uh, because of this experience, immediately spiritualize it, although that's a good way to do it, is to think about maybe the, the drought of your own soul and how God can provide water for it. But for many people in many churches, this is a very real thing, especially right now especially right now. They read verses like this, and this is what they want to happen. Many of you know this, but our state is in a moderate to extreme drought, depending on where you are at. You see evidence of this all over our city with brown lawns and low rivers and lakes. I recently went on a hike with my son over by Stillwater to see a waterfall, and it was more like this little trickle. Uh, my my faucet in my sink was more overwhelming than that hike uh, because of this drought. Uh, the guys who just w recently went on the Boundary Waters trip said that they had a portage more often because of how low the lake and the rivers and the streams were in the Boundary Waters. And this weather is impacting farmers all over the state. They're preparing for low yield. They're doing things that they never planned to do, selling uh, parts of their farms, selling limes, livestock, even though they weren't planning to do this because things are getting desperate. It's one of the reasons why it's good every once in a while to apply a text like this very literally, because for many people that's how it is. It's just the fact that they want these verses to be true because they simply need water, water to live, water to fulfill their vocation and their calling in uh, as farmers or whatever it is. And it's not just them that are impacted by this. Our work and our economies and our ecosystems are so connected that this is impacting city folk as well. And even if the, you're not relating to this directive application, uh, you're not thinking maybe of, of family in your life that are impacted by this, it's another way to think about this in terms of an application is to make earthy requests. The Christian faith is nothing is never short than the reality that the gospel is here to save your soul. But God is also here to restore all things, spiritually, and also he's here to restore the land. He's here to restore justice. He's here to bring peace. He's here to make our earth into a new heaven and a new earth. 
so that all of existence, not just your soul, everything around us flourishes as well. So if the drought isn't impacting you as severely as it is others, well, maybe other things are, that you need to pray that God would provide and God would bring peace to you. Maybe you're anxious because of the threatening delta wave of the virus. Maybe you're discouraged because of division in the broader church between brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you're feeling unsafe in our city for the first time because of rising crime. Maybe you're worried about what in the world this upcoming school year is going to look like. Maybe you're facing a storm of health problems. Maybe you're overwhelmed by a particular sin that you've never been able to beat. If that's you, this is the type of prayer for you, that God would bring his provision, that he would flood your world, and that he would bring flourishing to you. For many of us and for many times, life is more like it's in the middle of a storm than it is that we're at the end of a bountiful harvest. And if that's the case, let's turn to Mark chapter 4 to close this message to remind us of who we gathered to worship yet again. This is the story of Jesus and his disciples on the sea. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came, came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves will obey him. And we know, brothers and sisters, who this is. This is the one who raised from the dead. This is the one who forgives us so that we are not overwhelmed by our sins. This is the one that can stand up in the middle of the storm of your life right now that's causing you the greatest amount of anxiety and say, peace, be still. And I think if that's you, and you're like me, that you, I have these scenarios that are coming to your mind, ponder this week the questions that the Lord Jesus has asked. Why are you afraid, brothers and sisters? Why do you have faith? We know who we are calling on, the one who is stronger than the mountains, the one who can break the power of sin and death. He is listening to you right now. And the day will come where he will provide and you will shout for joy in response. Let's move again to a time of communion here. A reminder for those of you that are at home, uh, the live stream will be cutting here shortly as we switch uh, back to in-person communion. We'd love to bring communion to you at home if that applies to you, uh, but for now we'll continue to focus on in-person communion here for those of us who are gathered as the live stream stops at home. The way that we will take that is after we pray, 
we'll have the musicians will come back up and they will lead us in a couple songs. During that first song, you can come up to the front, take uh, the elements of communion back with you to your seat, and at any moment during the, the, the song, you can take communion as you feel led. If you're here and you don't identify with the Christian faith, feel no pressure to sing or to participate in this time. This is a table for those that have faith, which also means if you're visiting today but you believe in Jesus, come to this table and celebrate with us as we reflect on the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we say the Apostles' Creed together, I want to lead us in a pastoral prayer in light of this psalm, just to pray for you uh, the types of prayers that I pray for you when this sanctuary is empty in anticipation for you all to be here. So let me pray. Lord, we need you to care for the land and water it. Your streams are filled with water, so please provide and please drench us with rain and soak the soil so that the crops will be blessed and the harvest will be bountiful and the produce will overflow our grocery stores. We pray to you, God our Savior, because you answer our prayers with awesome and righteous deeds and you are the hope of all peoples, of all that are living at the ends of the earth, and in the farthest of seas, you are God of all. You have power because you have formed the mountains, having armed yourself with strength. Jesus, your son, stills the storm and the roaring of waves, and with just a word will one day end all human conflict. We need that powerful voice right now, the powerful voice of Jesus in our lives and in our city. There are waves of crime, another curve of sickness. There is fighting among public leaders and division among your own people. So raise your voice, Lord Jesus, and say, peace, be still. Speak your words of peace, justice, and restoration over our city and church, and help your people and all those you can bring a measure of peace into our lives and in our city, and help us to obey your voice like the waves of a restless sea can obey. Lord, we are overwhelmed by our sins. The power of death continues to threaten us. So we call out to your son, Jesus Christ, who because of his death and resurrection forgives those who call on his name. In Christ, we are not only forgiven, but chosen. And the Holy Spirit brings us near to your presence to be filled with good things. So Lord Jesus, we're ready once again to erupt in praise. We commit to worshiping you we commit to following your ways, and we pray with confidence because you answer all our prayers according to your will. So may all of us here and throughout the globe call on your name right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's confess this together. We've got the Apostles' Creed up here. There we go. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen.